This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. And we're all fired up and ready to go to kick off another week here on 98.7 ESPN. At Dan Grosser, G-R-A-C-A is where you can get me on Twitter. Hope everybody had themselves a fantastic weekend. Great weekend if you're a fan of the Miami Heat, or even better if you're just a fan of wanting to see a good old-fashioned competitive NBA Finals as Eric Spolster's team rises from the ashes like they have done on many occasions so far this postseason. They even up the best of seven last night, getting a victory in Denver, got off to a great start. Denver came back, took control of that game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Heat do Heat things like we've seen them do quite often, right? And they played their best basketball for those 12 minutes, the final 12 minutes, and get themselves a victory. First time the Nuggets have lost a game at home since March the 30th. The first time the Heat have won in Denver since 2016. And the likes of, you know, Josh McRoberts was wearing a Heat uniform, filling up baskets that night for them. So maybe we get a little bit longer series than maybe we anticipated. I thought it would go six in favor of the Nuggets. Uh, I still think it's their series to lose. But, hey, you know, with the win by Miami, all they got to do now is just hold serve at home, and they're going to be the NBA champs. Easier said than done, of course. But at least we got a little bit of juice now heading into a game number three, which will be coming up on Wednesday. Get the extra day moved in there for travel to separate the uh, games two and three a little bit here, but at least we get a little bit of little bit of buzz in this NBA Finals. Yanks cap off a very successful road trip for them. They take two out of three in Seattle, two out of three in L.A. After getting blasted on Friday night, they bounce back and beat up on those Dodgers rookie pitchers on Saturday and Sunday. But, you know, the takeaway with the Yankees here, and it's kind of like the old expression, you know, you may have won the battle, but you don't want to lose the war. And, of course, we're talking about the situation involving Aaron Judge, who, I mean, geez, made as good a catch as you're going to see, you know, sacrificing his body going through the wall. And, look, when you're about 6'8", you know, and, and built like Aaron Judge is, you know, the wall is the one who probably took the worst of that one. But, unfortunately, that little step-up ledge thing they have there on the ground, I guess Judge caught it with his toe, kept him out of the lineup on Sunday, and today – Back in New York, he's getting some more tests done, and I'm sure we're going to find out at some point, probably tomorrow, whether or not Judge is going to require an injured list stint or not to deal with that toe, which he said had some swelling in it. And, and look, that's, that's the concern here. It's like, great, you won the game. Great, you had a good trip and everything. But, you know, this Yankee team can ill afford to be without Aaron Judge for any prolonged period of time. You know, if it's a 10-day stint on the injured list, you'd say, okay, you deal with it, you move on, not the end of the world. But if we're talking like, God forbid, a fractured toe and it's a month, two months, that's problematic because you don't even want to envision what this Yankee offense would be like without Aaron Judge in the lineup every single day. I mean, I think that we can guess. You know, we've seen hints of this in the past. We saw Judge down for 10 days earlier this year, and it didn't look all that pretty. And now over a longer stretch of time, it would be borderline catastrophic for this team. I'll tell you what it would do. If Judge has to be lost for a month or two months, you could probably kiss the Yankees' chances of winning the American League East goodbye if he is going to miss that long of a time period. But we just don't know yet. You know, shorter term, not that big of a deal. But the way that division is going right now, Tampa won again today, as a matter of fact. They beat Boston to uh, take three out of four in that series up at Fenway Park. So Tampa's rolling at 43-19 and 19 right now. Uh, six up on the loss column on the Yankees. You keep your fingers crossed and you see how things turn up here with the tests and the X-rays and the MRIs and all that stuff for Judge's toe. And you hope that he's back in the mix uh, sooner rather than later. But we got to start with the other baseball team in town. We'll get to all that other stuff in great detail a little bit later on. But we got to start with the Mets, right? You got it. And I'll tell you something. I, I, I was thinking 
about maybe even sitting this first segment of the show out tonight. Really. I was thinking about just saying there's no need for me to be on. What the guys could have did, I was going to have them pull the open from the show last Monday on Memorial Day. Because it's really the same exact story that we talked about a week ago after the Mets came off that road trip. Right where they went to Colorado and played horrible baseball. Chicago, the series before that. It's the same old, same old. We've got 60 games of data to be able to build an evaluation on now with this team. They're 30 up. They're 30 down. They're average. They're mediocre. They're inconsistent. They're consistently inconsistent is the best way that I think that you could put it. Any which way you want to slice it, you know what? That's fine. It's fine. You know what? Some teams, some organizations, they'll take 500. They'll take average. You know, they'll bargain for that. Pittsburgh Pirates right now, they'll sign up for average. Right? They're four over 500 right now. One of the surprises of baseball. They're thrilled as a pig and you know what? But they don't have a $400 million payroll. If you got the richest payroll in the history of Major League Baseball, 500 is not good enough. And it's not going to cut it. But I mean, think about this stretch of games that they've been on here, right? I mean, it's it, it's the same pattern with this team. Lose two, win two. Lose two, win three, lose three. That's the Mets. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, and we told you that June on paper was going to be a heck of a lot more difficult than the previous month was. Remember, that May schedule was supposed to be conducive to fattening up the wins, Right? To beating up on the bad teams. They weren't able to do that. They weren't able to gain any sort of separation. And now they've lost three out of four to begin the month of June, and it's going to get only harder. And if you're a Met fan, I, I mean, I don't know how much more you could take watching this offense trying to go out there and score runs each and every day. It's pathetic. The offense is feeble. That's a good word for it, feeble. You know, when the Mets are faced with a three-run deficit, like yesterday, you feel like they're down by 30. It feels insurmountable. I mean, this takes you back to the days when, which ironically enough was the year they ended up going to the World Series, but you remember even June of 2015 when they were trotting out the likes of John Mayberry Jr. and Eric Campbell, and those guys were like hitting in the middle of their lineup. That was the heart of the order. That was supposed to be the so-called threat against the opposition. I mean, that was tough to watch. And by hook or by crook, some way they turned it around and, and made it all the way to uh, the end of October. But, yeah, there's still time to do that. But as we've been saying, there's not a move that the Mets could go make outside of baseball, which I think is or on another team, which is going to dramatically alter the course of their season. Your payroll is $400 million. You're supposed to have those answers in your clubhouse right now. Those are the guys that are supposed to get it done. Starting with the shortstop. And you guys know how I feel about Lindor. Not a bad guy, he's a good guy, good clubhouse guy, all those things. Good player, not a bad player, but he ain't a guy who's worth $340 million. He sure as hell ain't playing like that guy. I haven't seen that guy since about 2016, 2017 when he was wearing a Cleveland uniform still. Haven't seen it when he was wearing a Met uniform. And you know it's a sobering thought, by the way, to kind of link what we've been talking about so far in the show. You realize that the overall value of Francisco Lindor's contract is only $20 million less than Aaron Judge. Let that sink in for a second, okay? Aaron Judge, who's arguably the best player in baseball, right, is an absolute monster each and every day. You know what you're getting from this guy, and he's only worth, in the grand scheme of things, $20 million more than Francisco Lindor. I I mean, look, Mets are never going to admit it. They swung and missed on that contract. You know, I don't know what the rush was 
when they traded for him before he even put on the uniform and stepped foot on the field as a New York Met that they had to lock this guy up for that type of money. Uh, Insanity. They completely oversold the shortstop market because, remember, you had all those other soon-to-be free agent shortstops the following offseason, the Correas, the Baezes, the Seegers, the blah, 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 all those guys. They didn't come close to getting $340 million. And some of them have outperformed Lindor, right? I mean, you're paying guys that kind of money. You expect them to produce. It's as simple as that. Eight for your last 56, not going to get it done. Whatever it is, runners in scoring position, forget about it. You know, the other thing, too, don't look now, but these rookies who everybody wanted to, you know, retire their numbers a week after they all got called up from the minor leagues, you know, they've hit the wall here. Haven't heard much of Alvarez the last few days. Mark Vientos, I mean, he might have like two hits since he's been called up. If I got to hear one more thing about Vientos, too, I mean, come on. You know, Beatty can't even get in the lineup each and every day anymore. And then the $75 million pitcher, who apparently can't pitch more than once a week. You know, that was maybe one part of the devil in the details of the contract when they brought him over from Japan. And I'm talking about Senga. He was awful yesterday. You know, you need to give, you, you need to give your team more than eight outs and not to bury him in a four-run hole basically before you're in your seat. And I get it. This is the first time he pitched on four days rest and blah, 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 blah. You know what? He also walked five guys, too. And that's been a problem all season long for him. You know, the control is spotty. He can't pitch on the road. And, and if I had to sit here and hear one more thing about the four days resting, four days rest, okay, yeah, that's part of it too. And, you know, it's only June. You might as well get him acclimated to try to pitch around here like he's expected to pitch. But don't think for a second that also a big part of that decision didn't have to do with the fact that if you kept him on his normal rest, his next start would have been tomorrow night in Atlanta where he has an ERA over six on the road and that Braves team would have absolutely tattooed him. You know it and I know it. And then it would have been the worst case scenario. But, I mean, was this going to be a problem all year? Like, did did they just expect him to pitch on five days rest each turn through the rotation all season? But, again, when you're not getting the contributions from your starting pitcher, like really has been the case all season long, not just with Senga, but with the majority of the guys. All right? The Met rotation has not been good this year. Then that eats away at your bullpen depth, and you're asking them to incur more of a load and more work. And it's obvious that if you're Buck Showalter, he only trusts three guys right now. He trusts Adovino, he trusts Raley, and he trusts David Robertson. And pretty much that's all you can trust. You know, how many times are I going to see, like, Dominic Leone out there? Dominic Leone, they picked up off the scrap heap. You know, call me crazy, but if you're getting guys off the scrap heap after the season started, that means that they weren't good enough to be on any of the other 29 teams or none of the other 29 teams wanted them. It's a reason guys are available. But the bullpen is overworked because the starting pitching isn't giving you any length. And the saving grace for the Mets right now on this fifth day of June as they head down to Atlanta for a showdown with the class of the National League East is that there's only six teams over 500 in the entire National League. Six. So I still think that as bad as things have been, the Mets are going to find their way into the playoffs like almost by default. Almost by default. Because two of those teams that are over 500 and have winning records are teams like the Marlins, teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't think that's sustainable. Do you? I sure as heck don't. Mets are going to see Pittsburgh pretty soon, as a matter of fact, on this trip. Later on in the week. 
So, yeah, the Mets could be a playoff team, but you really think we're looking at a championship team here? 60 games. Is this a championship team? Not where I'm sitting. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. It's a Met talk when we come back. We'll also get into all the Yankees stuff. Talk about the NBA Finals where we've got ourselves a series now and some interesting off-the-court stuff with the NBA as the rumor mill is already starting to swirl, some of it more hilarious than others. And one of Aaron Rodgers' former teammates doesn't really think that it's all that big of a loss. Moving on from A-Rod to Jordan Love as far as the Packer quarterback situation is concerned. We'll talk about that as well. Big Monday program for you. Starting off the work week strong. Grasso Show till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Vegas Knights try to flex their muscles, go up to love on the Panthers. We'll see if the Cats can get back in the series before it shifts back down to FLA. Pan, uh, Golden Knights won the opener on Saturday evening, a game that took long, like lo- long for a hockey game, like long, 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 longer than usual, as a matter of fact here. But we're talking Mets to start the show here and their struggles, well, Depending on how you look at it, really, their struggles, right? They're an average team. They're mediocre. Some days they're good. Some days they're bad. But that's not going to cut it, especially with the payroll and when you're coming off winning 101 games like they did last season. Let's um, first, before we get to some calls, let's hear from the manager. Here's Buck Showalter talking about his team's inconsistent play. You as a manager get to bask in a good game from the time you shake the last hand and you come up those steps and as soon as you take a left in your office you're trying to figure out a way to make sure everything's in line to play well and, and win another game you don't get to and but on the flip side of that you've got to do the other side of that when you don't play well but you learn from successes and failures I knew we weren't swinging the bats particularly well even though we played them scored more runs than they did in three games you know, these all three of these games could have turned very quickly in a couple of situations, but they didn't. We kind of went for it yesterday and didn't work out uh, late in the game. But no, I don't say, oh, we got it all figured out, and this is, means this is going to happen for an extended period of time. It's just sports, especially at this level, don't work that way. Go ask the Celtics. I mean, everything that appears some way on paper is why we watch the games. You go see it, and, and we're always something that we don't see coming happens. Maybe it ha- starts happening in Atlanta. Let's, we'll see. We'll show up and see what happens. 
Well, that'd be ideal, but if something does happen in Atlanta, then you also want to carry that over to Pittsburgh the next series, and you got to keep winning and winning and winning. That's how it goes here, and the Mets have to go on one of those runs if they're going to have a season that even come, comes close to resembling the one that we saw last year. There's this small kind of growing faction of people that are dissatisfied with Buck and are blaming this all on the manager and that he's the reason that they're 30 and 30 and that they're not firing on all cylinders. Not the players, it's Buck. You know, Buck's the reason that Lindor can't go up there and get a meaningful hit. Buck's the reason why the starting pitching is not pitching deep into games. Buck's the reason why the bullpen is really lacking in terms of arms that you can actually trust, right? It's all on the manager's fault. Last year was great. Everything that he touched turned to gold. He was the manager of the year. Mets were thankful to have him. Why would anybody let this guy go? Blah, 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 blah. One of the great managers of all time, 101 wins. And now this year he forgot how to manage, apparently. Like, he's the one out there telling the guys to be less successful than they were a season ago. To, to me, that's crazy. Now, look, I understand when you're not getting the results you want, you grasp for straws, and you're trying to look for anything possible to put the blame on. I get it. Everybody wants a quick fix. Everybody wants results yesterday. But do you really think, like, seriously, do you really think firing the manager is going to change things for this team right now? Like, it, it, it's laughable. Like, if they fired Buck and then they made – you know, Eric Chavez, the manager, you know, because he's the next in line, right? You really think the Mets are just going to take off, really? Like that's going to serve as a wake-up call to the players? Stop. Stop, stop, stop. You know, Buck is not the problem. He deserves at least the season. If you get to the end of the year and this team just hasn't been able to snap out of the rut and they underachieve, then we can have that conversation again. But right now, on June the 5th, this isn't a manager problem. It's a player's problem. Hell, we could even go so far as to say it's even a partial roster construction problem. Right? Like I keep saying, richest payroll in baseball history, $400 million. You should have zero flaws. Zero. And the Mets have more flaws than they have assurances. So maybe some of the onus should go on the guy who put the team together and picked the players. That wasn't the manager. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. Let's say hi to Cush and Wayne. First up, 987. Cush, how are you doing? Hey, Dan. What's going on? First What's time, long time. I uh, just had a question. I've been listening to both uh, 987 and the fan, and there's been a wide range of emotions with uh, Ann Volpe on the Yankees. Just want to know your realistic expectations for Volpe for prior to the season starting and maybe after the season ends. About Volpe, and, and thanks for the phone call. Um, says he wanted to talk about the Mets, but he wanted to, you know, came on with Volpe. That's fine. Um, we talked a lot about Volpe on Saturday, and hopefully the home run that he hit last night, by the way, is going to calm all the concerns that all these Yankee fans have about, you know, him not working out and him needing to be sent down, and they have to get somebody else to play shortstop and all these other things. Volpe's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. See, the problem with Yankee fans that are a little too unrealistic, and they got spoiled to Jeter for how many years he was here. And they expect this guy to be the next in line and to just kind of, like, carry the baton. It doesn't work that way. You know, not every situation is going to be Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to be, you know, Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. Things don't work that seamlessly always in sports. When you're talking about a position to a position, DiMaggio to Mantle, it doesn't work that way. You know, give this kid some time. You know, one of the names I brought up over the weekend was Bernie Williams, for crying out loud. Bernie Williams came up to the major leagues, and, and, and he was a, a, a tall, gangly, skin guy, or skinny guy with glasses and 
Uh, I mean, he wasn't necessarily delivering on all this hype and all this promise. It took him a few years to get going. And I think, fast forward to the end of the story, I think Bernie Williams worked out pretty good for the Yankees. Did he not? Let's say hi to Richard in Manhattan. He's up next here on 98.7. Hello, Richard. How are you? Dan, Pete Alonzo bats cleanup. Am I correct? Uh, last time I checked, yeah. If he, if he batted leadoff over a 145-game season, or 145-time. Can't bat him leadoff, 40, oh, wait, Well, let me finish. Let me finish. He'd bat maybe 50, 50 55 bats at bats more. A year. Am I correct? Sure. Okay. When he bats cleanup in the first inning, it's 50-50 that he gets up. 50-50. Because one, two, three, it can go, and then he bats clean. He bats leadoff batting sec- in the second inning. And then after that, it doesn't matter. So here's what I'm putting on the plate. You have 50 to 60 more times at bat per year with the possible chance of getting up in the first inning with either one, two, three men on base or nobody on base. Or, I mean, or not getting up. So it's fit, but it's 50-50 that he can get up with nobody on base. Because when you got three hitters as the Mets do who are not hitting that great, it's maybe 60-40 that they go one, two, three. And then after that, it doesn't matter. So, I'm putting it on the plate. Is it worth him, that one inning, first inning, getting up with the possibility of one, two, or three men on base, or getting up 50, 55 times more per year? That's all I'm saying. It's, just, it's another way of thinking. We go the other way with judge batting two and three, right? Well, you have to think along these lines, too, because what I'm stating mm-hmm. is pure fact. So you have to figure it out because it only matters in the first inning where you're batting. And then after that, the analytics will tell you that, A, you get more at-bats the higher up you are, which is true. So you have to put it all on the table and figure it out yourself. I mean, I don't know. And I don't have the the answer. I'm not arguing either way No, 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 no. And I'll tell you why it's not a good idea, and I thank you for the phone call. Okay, first, well, forget about, I mean, speed is one thing. I mean, Judge runs a hell of a lot better than Alonzo does. It's not even close, okay? Number one, Alonzo doesn't hit for high enough average, okay? So, I mean, you, you do want the guy to get on base. And, oh, by the way, his on-base percentage pales in comparison to a guy like Judge. Alonzo's on-base percentage is like 320. Judge's is over 400, you know? Judge is one of the top, you know, one, two players in all of baseball. It's not Pete Alonzo. Alonzo's job is to drive in runs nothing more nothing less you know that's what he needs to do a little bit better job of not batting first and I understand the whole thing and that's become a new way in baseball right now where you get the leadoff hitter or you know you get one of your boppers up there batting leadoff at the top of the order to get him some more at bats and that type of thing and you know the first inning is really the only time it's I get all that stuff and the lineup rolls over but let me ask you a question what are the guys at the bottom of the order doing for the Mets right now hmm what are those guys doing you know, Francisco Alvarez has gone cold. Yesterday, their eight and nine hitters were Vientos and Alvarez. Like I said, Vientos, I think, has gotten two hits since he's been here. And Alvarez has now gone into a cold funk. What good is it having anybody at the top of the order if the guys that are at the bottom of the order aren't getting on base and giving the opportunities to drive in the runs? It's as simple as that. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll talk Yanks when we come back. And really big picture what this potential 
Judge Scare could mean. And also, one more thing on the Mets before we make the transition to the Yankees, which I had to go back and think about. Trying to find a little bit of logic as to why the season has unfolded the way it did. I'll tell you what I talk about when we return. Cross the show till 10, right here on 98.7 ESPN. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. A couple of things here before we get back to uh, business. Number one, kind of Met related, but remember our buddy Jacob DeGrom, who left for greener pastures with the Texas Rangers. He hasn't pitched uh, since late April. On the shelf with some uh, elbow issues. I can't remember. Elbow, forearm, same thing, whatever. He hasn't pitched. Well, today they placed him on the 60-day IL, and Jacob DeGrom is not going to be eligible to return to the mound till June the 28th. So at least, what, about three and a half more weeks before DeGrom is going to get back out there for the Rangers, and that's at the earliest. Who knows if that's even going to be the case. I mean, if you're Texas right now, you might as well just hold him out until the All-Star break and give him that extra rest. And then maybe you start the second half of the season with him back on the bump. It's amazing. It's going to be two years in a row now where he barely pitches in the first half of the season. It's crazy. And and, and in the meantime, one of the other free agent pitchers that the Rangers brought in during the offseason, the former Yankee, Nathan Avaldi, he's been the best pitcher in baseball. His last, like, seven, eight starts, he's got an ERA of under one. If I would have told you back in the winter, yeah, the, the biggest free agent pitching acquisition is going to be a Texas Ranger, you would have thought it was DeGrom. But no, Avaldi has been absolutely lights out. Now, you got that, and then on the flip side, what's happening right now, I, and for the life of me, I can't figure this one out. Tonight in Toronto, Houston is playing the Blue Jays, and Alec Manoa is getting the ball for Toronto. And Manoa is a guy who, you know, has had his struggles this year. Can't figure it out. Guy finished top three in the Cy Young last year. Really one of the better young pitchers in the game. Tonight he gives up a six spot in the top of the first. Can't even get out of the first inning. I don't know what is going on with this dude, but it's to the point now if you're the Blue Jays, I don't know how you can keep sending him out there. I mean, this game is basically over, and Toronto's got like a tremendous offense, as we all know, and they could erase any sort of deficit. But, I mean, digging yourself a 6 nothing hole in the first inning before you even come to bat? You can't do that. You're not giving your team a chance to win. You hear the expression all the time. Well, you got to put your team in the best position to win. Alec Manoa's not doing it. Like I said, I don't know what has gotten into this dude after what we've seen the last two seasons. All right, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Before we get back to the Met calls, I was thinking about this. 
got to be some explanation, right? There's got to be a reason behind this. Why the Mets could go from 101 wins last year to a team this year that can't seem to get out of their own way. Average at best. You know, we talk about all these other things that maybe you don't do in sports. You don't count your chickens before they hatch. You don't touch the money, all these other things. You don't poke the bear, all the expressions. You know how I felt with the whole Timmy Trumpet thing last year when they brought him out, and it just seemed like the season went south after that. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Exactly. So, remember right before the season started, it was actually on Super Bowl Sunday. Mets made a commercial. Remember that for ticket sales? You know, drum up enthusiasm coming off of the 100-win season. A lot of excitement in the air. Go Mets. And... They did this commercial. Remember this? Take a listen. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. New York Mets Ticket Center. This is Brandon. Section 139? Yeah, you can see my hair from there. Got it. Yeah, it's not a real ghost. It's not a ghost. No, you hang up. Your tickets are confirmed. Yes, they're closer. Remember that, right? We all got a chuckle out of it. Ha, ha, ha. So I went back and I watched it today because I'm trying to play connect the dots here. And I think you can look back on this commercial and say that all with the exception of Brandon Nimmo, everybody else in that commercial has had little to no luck so far this season. You want to call it the curse of the Mets Super Bowl commercial? Be my guest. Luis Guillorme is actually in that commercial, and I didn't even know that until I watched it back today. He's actually standing in the hallway when Brandon Nimmo comes running down it at the beginning, so he doesn't have a speaking part in it. But what happened to Luis Guillorme? Well, he batted 233 this year, and they sent him down to the minor leagues. Not a season that's worth remembering for old Luis, okay? So that's number one. Number two, you got Francisco Lindor, who was sitting there as the phone operator trying to sell some tickets. He's batting 213, can't get a meaningful hit to save his life, right? That's Lindor. Number three, the next guy who was on the phone was Tomas Nito. Tomas Nito was designated for assignment today. Okay, so he don't even have a job anymore. Then you got Kodai Senga, who was on the little FaceTime call there. We know all about him. He can only pitch once a week. He's terrible on the road. He walks the entire ballpark very up and down for Mr. Senga. Then you had Edwin Diaz make an appearance, and I think we know how Edwin Diaz's season turned out, celebrating in the World Baseball Classic Season-ending injury, doesn't even throw a pitch for the Mets this year. The only guy who seems like he was unaffected with his performance in that commercial was Brandon Nimmo. He's the only guy because he's having himself a tremendous season. And thank God they had Brandon Nimmo because if they didn't have Brandon Nimmo, they might be 10 games under 500 right now. The Super Bowl commercial for the stinking Mets has not exactly been a fortuitous one for the franchise. I think we can all agree on that. Dave in the car. Up next on 98.7 ESPN. David, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Thanks for uh, for taking my call. Look, you know, I'm going to be very simple, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Any organization in sports uh, that is successful long-term, um, that satisfies their fans without end, or, or organizations that build a culture. You know the Steelers and football have a culture. The Yankees have a culture. The Celtics have a culture. We're watching a Miami Heat team with undrafted players who have a culture, and they're successful. I think what happened when the owner came in, I think instead of spending billions or millions of dollars on trying to get faces and fill the stands, 
I thought he should have put together a think tank and really use the analytics to create some type of leadership structure before they start bringing all this talent. The talent is signed now, and it's grossly underperforming. What do you think? Dave, I don't disagree with you. If, if you want to tell me right now that the Mets have a quote-unquote culture, what is it? What is it? You know how you build a culture? You know how you generate stuff like that? It's called winning. There's two types of cultures in sports, a winning culture and a losing culture. All the ones that you just referenced, the Steelers, the Yankees, the Boston Celtics, whatever the hell you want to call it, that's a winning culture. Mets don't have a winning culture. They've got two world championships. You go into City Field and you look up at the rafters and you look at all those banners, and they, they don't have a lot of them. Remember, they put a wild card banner up there. I don't even know if it's still there. Remember, they a wild card banner. Yeah, made the wild card game in 2016. Let's put a banner up. Lost. Lost the game, but we're going to put a banner up to fill space. Oh, it's, please. Right? I, I mean, that's how you establish a culture. It's winning. I always say about the Mets, it's funny. Like, you know how they have these, like, tricked-out jackets? They look like varsity jackets. You know, that you get in high school, but they have them for like professional teams. And on the back of it, they have like the years that they won championships and that sort of thing. Right. They got all the years on them. And sometimes if you really have a lot of titles, they have it spilling out onto the arms and that type of thing. It's funny. You could walk by that store in the mall where they sell those type of jackets and the Met one. You could buy it and you feel very confident that you don't have to make any additions to it or any changes to it. It's going to say 1969 and 1986 and that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. You got your two championships. Nothing more. Jesus, when I was a kid and I first started getting into baseball, the Mets were undergoing the, the greatest five-year stretch in the history of the franchise in the mid, mid to late 80s. It was the best five-year stretch ever. And I thought, geez, this is going to be great. Every single year, you got a chance to win a championship. Every single year, you're going to be in the mix. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I a little bit off on that one. You want to build a culture, you win. It's not about payroll. It's not about big, splashy free agent acquisitions. It's winning. Tampa Bay Rays have no payroll. But you know what they know how to do? They know how to build an organization, build a farm system, draft and develop players, make smart trades. You know what? Tampa Bay's won a hell of a lot more than the Mets have in the last 10 years, don't you think? And they're not the only ones. You know, Steve Cohen said, you know, I want to I build an organization just like the Dodgers. I want to be the Dodgers of the East Coast. Yeah, I want to be able to have a payroll and have the resources where we could have some flexibility, but we also want to have a strong farm system and develop players. I mean, th I brought it up last week when the Yankees were there. The Dodgers did not have a splashy offseason like they usually do. You know, they let guys go and didn't really necessarily replenish because they have guys in their pipeline that they trust. The two kids that pitched against the Yankees this weekend, all right, I get it. They didn't win, but still, Grove, Bobby Miller, other guys, they have players at the ready. To where once the offseason comes around and those guys have already come in and at least established a foundation, you know what they're going to do? They are going to spend wildly. And they're probably going to go out there and get Shohei Otani to supplement the talent that they already have in their system. You know, in a Dodger team that's winning and in the playoffs each and every year, they're not picking first, second, third, fourth in the draft, which is always like the convenient excuse. Yet they're still finding players, right? 
They're still somehow finding ways to incorporate talent into the organization. And it's not just with the owner's checkbook. And that can't just be the answer to everything. Well, that's all right. We got the richest owner. We're going to go out there and buy a, a winner. We're going to go out there and buy a World Series. You're finding out it's a lot more difficult than that. Yankees tried that approach, too, if I can use the sacred term when George was still around. Remember when they tried that? After the dynasty ended in, in, in 2000? Remember all those other years when they went and they bought Giambi and Sheffield and blah, 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 and, and, and kept spending, 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 having that flashy lineup one through nine? How many other World Series did they tack on after that? You know, worked for them in 2009, right? They signed CC, they signed Mark Deshera, they signed A.J. Burnett. All right, they got the title in 09. But before that, there were a lot of lean years. Haven't been back to the World Series since. That's not always the answer on how to win. More Met calls. We're going to do some Yankees as well. 800-919-3776. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Mets will be in Atlanta tomorrow. Yanks back home to take on the Chai Sox. Will Aaron Judge be in the lineup? Will he not be? In the lineup. Well, we'll get our answers tomorrow, of course, as he's dealing with that little bit of a toe injury. You know, it's interesting. You think about what we were just discussing with the winning culture and how you go about developing that, right? You can't just say, oh, yeah, that's what we strive to be. Well, you have to actually go out there and execute and do it. You know, like the Jets, for example, in, in football. Jets don't have a winning culture, right? They haven't been to the playoffs in going on 13 years. We suck. But they're trying like hell to get there. Right? They brought in a guy who comes from a winning culture, who's won more often than he's lost in his career. He's been to the top of the mountain. And that quarterback, from everything that you hear and see, is that you know he's trying to instill that onto this organization, which hopes to get to that level. You know That's one way you go about trying to accomplish something like that, but you still have to go out there once the season starts and settle your business on the field. That's how you go about doing it. 
Raul's in Connecticut. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Raul, how you doing? How you doing? Good evening. What's up, Raul? How's things? What's going on? Yeah, I just got to talk about the Mets. Um, I think I think I think the Mets are having a culture problem. Maybe they want to be they want to get ahead of themselves. What do you think? Like the Dodgers and the Yankees, the mighty teams. Um, when they changed ownership, they wasn't like this before. And now that they're like this, the way they are and the way they built, maybe they, maybe they're getting too ahead of themselves. What do you think? Well, That's I mean, a problem. The culture before, of the Mets got to change. But, but but was it working before though? What was that? Was it working before with the other owners? No, because they were spending, but they wasn't overspending. Well, nobody. We, nobody we, we has seen spending you, you like my, this. You get my, my point, though, right? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, that, and that's the thing, Raul. Look, n- nobody has seen a payroll like this. And I thank you for the phone call, right? This is this is uncharted territory, right? You got the richest owner in the sport, and he's spending. Like, you know what's so funny? The day he took over, one of the few days at the, at the beginning when he took over as the owner, remember he made that comment about, you know, we don't want to go out there and spend like drunken sailors. Well, you got the richest payroll in the history of the sport. It looks like you're spending like drunken sailors when you're not winning games to go along with it. You want to say they have an identity crisis right now? I think that's fair. I really and truly do. What I think happened as far as the transition from 2022 to 2023 and this isn't kind of something newfound. We talked about this during the offseason. Like I said, what moves did the Mets make to where they got better? Tell me. Like, l- pretend that there was not even a game to be played yet this season, and they're not 30-30. and 30. What moves did the Mets make in the offseason to where they should be a better team? Offensively, who did they bring in that's better? They spent $162 million to retain Brandon Nimmo. If Nimmo wasn't on the team, I don't even want to think about how bad this offense would be. Because you know the guy that they would bring in to fill his spot in the lineup wouldn't be as good. What, would they move Marte over to center field and just put some slap out there in right field? What would they do? All right, they swapped out DeGrom and replaced him with Verlander. They let Chris Bassett walk for nothing and replaced him with Kodai Senga. They let Taiwan Walker go to Philadelphia, replaced him with Jose Quintana, who hasn't thrown a pitch yet this season. Right? Edwin Diaz got hurt. All right, that's unfortunate. But my point is, is that the moves that they made, it was almost as if they were just assuring that they would be right back to where they were last year. And that's maybe that fool's gold type of mentality that maybe they were going about this the wrong way, thinking that 101 wins last year, all we have to do is put on our spikes and put on our gloves and you know put on our caps and take the field next season, and we're going to win 101 again. We're going to get right back to the playoffs again, and then we just pray and keep our fingers crossed that we fare a little bit better in October. That's the wrong philosophy to have. Because, I mean, this problem exists, and we talk about the offense. Like I said, last year at the trade deadline, these are things that we were clamoring about. They, didn't, they weren't aggressive enough at the trade deadline trying to upgrade the personnel. You know, Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff and Tyler Naquin and guys like that. I mean, those aren't difference makers. I mean, what are we talking about here? And that's the problem. For a $400 million payroll, the richest in the history of Major League Baseball, you should have, if any, one or two holes. If any. And the Mets have a lot more than one or two. David in the car is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. David, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? 
Um, you're talking about the winning culture. It, it all comes from, I don't know how old you are. It all comes from the front office. That's it. That's how you get a winning culture. Pat Riley, that's why the Heat is winning. He knows what he's doing. Red Orbeck, he, he drafted a guy. Didn't even, the guy didn't even play for a whole year. People laughed at him. And they drafted Larry Bird. You have to know what you're doing. R.C. Buford, okay, the Spurs. I'm not talking about winning every single year, but you always have a good team. It comes from Al Davis. I mean, it, all, it comes from the front office. George Young, he comes from the front office. That's the way you get a winning culture. If you don't have the front office that knows what the hell they're doing, like the Knicks, forget it. You're out of it. You have no chance. Zero. Well, it's important to have good players too, David. With that, don't think for a second that that doesn't play a big role in this. Like, I, like I, even, even, regardless of what happened last night in in um, Denver. Like, I've been on this thing with the Heat culture. The Heat culture is great, but you know what? You still got to have good players. Before Jimmy Butler got there, the Heat were missing the playoffs. You know, we didn't hear a lot about the Heat culture when they weren't in the playoffs. It's when they start winning again and you get good players like Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, guys like that. You still need the stars. You're not just going to be able to pick like five guys off the street and then you say, oh, all of a sudden we're winning and we have this culture. You ask any executive, any coach, any player, any manager, any general manager, whatever, you know, going about it, the cheap route, and just trying to identify talent, the undrafted guys, no. They would much rather go about trying to win with proven star commodity players because those are the guys that have the talent. And sometimes, you know what? The other team is getting paid too. And the other team is going to be able to neutralize whatever you're, you're drawn up from an X's and O's and from a strategy when it comes to coaching. And you just need to rely on good old-fashioned overall talent. Okay? Sometimes talent is going to be able to beat great scheming and great coaching. You need that stuff. But do the Mets have a winning culture? No, they don't. They're trying to develop it. They're trying to build it. But at least through 60 games, it's not working out too well, is it? And remember, this is a franchise that throughout their history, they've only gone to the postseason in back-to-back years twice. Twice. They've been around for 60 years. They've only made back-to-back trips to the playoffs two times. That doesn't sound like a winning culture to me. And who knows? They might not even get back there this year at this rate. All right, good first hour. We come back. We'll get into some Yankees. We'll get into the NBA Finals as well. Dan Grasso Show, till 10, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>